Perhaps the conversation with myself began in Jaipur in 2022. At the 15th edition of the iconic Jaipur Literature Festival, I found myself looking for Anuradha in the lit fest crowds, rushing from one session to the next. Anuradha, the little girl who got lost in the melee decades ago, but continues to show up in my dreams to remind me that she's still very much alive. I just have to look much harder. I have been searching for Anuradha for more than 70 years. No luck so far. Does she even exist? Did she ever exist? Have I invented Anuradha? And who is Anuradha, you may ask? I was born under the Anuradha nakshatra and my parents named me after it as per the tradition in Saraswat Brahmin homes. And then Tatya, my father's despotic brother, decided the name was too long. How will a full name sound later in life? Anuradha Rajyadhyaksha? Change it to something shorter. Call her Shobha and pray she brings some Shobha to your family. Now that you have a third daughter and fourth child, let us at least name her correctly, he had said. My parents promptly obeyed. Nobody challenged Tatya. Least of all, a brother who was 22 years younger, my father, Govind Hari. Maybe Tatya killed Anuradha there and then without knowing it. When the story was narrated to me, I was around 5 years old. I burst into tears. I cried and cried. I hated my very pleb sounding name, Shobha. I begged my parents to start calling me Anuradha, but it was too late. Shobha stuck. I preferred Anuradha. It was classy and classical. I felt Anuradha. I still feel Anuradha. I want to be Anuradha. Only Anuradha. This is an excerpt from best-selling author and celebrated columnist Shobha Dey's autobiography. And I'm delighted to welcome her to the podcast today. Hi everyone. I'm on Spotlight with my new book Insatiable and I'm talking to Sandhya Mendonza looking forward to a terrific interaction. Let's go. Shobha you've written a lot about your love for food and you've written a lot about food. But where does all this food go? How do you keep the kilos off? Uh it's a question I've been asked all the time and I have to respond to it in the best way I can which is you don't have to be a glutton to be a foodie. You don't have to overindulge. You can eat uh, portions that suit you, suit your metabolism, suit your body type. You don't have to stuff your face. You can love food, you can dream food, you can fantasize about food and eat food provided you do it sensibly and that's exactly what I've done my entire life. I haven't really overindulged in a crazy mad way. So yes, I I live from meal to meal, but I'm not uh, I'm I'm not one of those who attacks food and wolfs it down or thinks of uh, food as something like a vacuum cleaner. I love food, I respect food. Food's a very important component of all our lives and uh, that's how I see it. In your book there's a particular bit that made me laugh so much where you've said that you slept in Narendra Modi's bed. Did you get a good night's sleep? <laughs> That's a very leading question. When let's say that I was sleeping with my husband on Narendra Modi's bed, so I had my comfort zone with right there with me and next to me and we both slept exceedingly well. It was kind of fun to 
to occupy that same bed and have a little giggle over it. And it's, of course, made its way to a book which is strictly apolitical because that's how I wanted it to be. Uh, it's a book which has no political opinion and just very few political asides because uh, it's not the right environment to be making political statements, uh, particularly in a in a book that is a memoir and that's a feel-good book. And uh, I didn't think this book warranted my politics. How did you come to pioneer the Shobade brand of writing? I don't have a formula. If I did, it would form another book. It is a comment on how we live. It's a comment on our society. It's like holding up a mirror, reflecting what I see in it. Your books are the subject matter of PhD studies in universities. How does it feel to get this kind of recognition, Shobha? It's not uh, something that I intended to. I wasn't writing textbooks. That there are over a hundred dissertations published on my work. That there a course material in several international and, and Indian universities is a matter of interest to me only because it says something important about how we are looking at contemporary writing. Other than that, it has no special significance because, like I said, uh, they weren't intended to be textbooks. That they are featuring in a lot of school texts as well uh, is something that I find extremely heartwarming and definitely something I'm proud of. You started the magazine Stardust at a very young age and you molded journalism in a way. How do you think it has changed over the years and what do you feel about it? Well, journalism is not something static. It's not set in stone. It changes with each decade or sometimes even uh, in two years or five years. And social media has, of course, made all of us journalists and columnists and uh, reporters and all of that, which I really, really enjoy because that's how it should be. I mean, democracy is all about expressing an opinion, whether it's on politics, it's on movies, it's on fashion, it's on music. It's every citizen's right to have a voice and social media has done exactly that. It's changed in terms of the formatting of opinion and uh, the long the long style essays that used to be a staple in very popular magazines like the New Yorker, Vanity Fair, no longer exist because people are not really ready to pay money when they can get so much free content. And uh, very good writers, international global writers who featured in some of those magazines uh, are long gone. And in any case, they would have expected to be paid a respectable fee for writing those long essay-length pieces. That has definitely changed. Attention spans have been shrinking, continue to shrink. So one has to be able to communicate. I, I believe I can do that effectively and successfully because I've been a columnist now for 45 years and all my editors think me, I suppose, worthy enough of giving me that kind of space Week after week after week, I've never missed a deadline. And I take what I do extremely seriously. And I think that so do my readers. They take me very seriously. Your writing has evolved over the years. Is it something that you aim for, Shobha? Do you consciously tackle a fresh kind of writing or a fresh subject? I think every single column of mine I approach with exactly the same sense of anticipation and excitement. I write four a week. Uh, the 25 books that I've written, 
there's nothing like being complacent. There's nothing like sitting on your laurels, sitting on your success and saying, hey, I've done so much and I don't need to learn anymore. I don't need to do anything further. Uh, writing is something that evolves. Every creative person knows that is evolving constantly. It evolves as we are speaking. It's still evolving in my head because you never really can master it. You can't ever call yourself uh, a writer who doesn't need to learn anything fresh and something new, but it's not something you can plan. Either you have the talent in you to keep writing differently, to keep writing in a way that makes people sit up and take notice, which I'm sure I've succeeded in doing, given that I get an incredible response from readers, but you can't plan to evolve. evolve evolution is not something you uh, write into your diary and say, hey, you know what, I'll get up tomorrow and start evolving. It doesn't work like that. You've been writing extensively about Indian women. Do you think Indian women are now more open about what they want out of life than they were in your early days of being a magazine editor and a columnist? Well, certainly we are living in 2023. It's a whole different ball game from the time I was growing up as a young girl. And women are far more aware of their rights, not just legally, constitutionally, socially, but on every single level as women. They have much more agency over their thinking, their bodies, uh, what they choose to do with their time. And that is, uh, uh, we've come pretty far, but not far enough because in our tier two, tier three cities, and certainly in our villages, it's not the same story. What we're discussing is the urban woman who is educated, uh, earns a living for herself, has a job, and has a very strong sense of identity, and is aware that she has an equal place in the world. It's not true for 90% of the women of our country. Shobha, do you think that your writing has helped women express themselves more openly? It's not for me to say. I write my truth. I write what I believe uh, is important and powerful for me as a woman to express. If there are thousands of other women who have derived inspiration from it, I'm really very thankful for that. And I get a lot of responses that say that they indeed have related to a lot of the issues I've raised in my books. So yes, uh, but it's not my intention. I'm not a messiah. I'm, I'm not an evangelist. I write what I want to write. If people connect to it, that's my reward. Like you mentioned earlier, you hold a candid mirror to society. You're the star amongst the socialites in the very ritzy world that you live in, Shoba. You're very much part of the upper crust. And yet you make fun of them. Gently, but you do make fun of them. How do your friends and acquaintances react to it? First of all, I am not a socialite. A socialite has implications which are necessarily extremely superficial and vapid and vacuous. I don't identify with that label at all. Whichever segment of society I happen to live in, I would comment on that. I would comment on other segments of society as well, as I've done in my book, Lockdown Liaisons, and several other books. Uh, it is not about making fun of anybody. It's about seeing a situation in a certain way, satirical it may be, uh, but it's. I don't think it's at all uh, cruel or it's that pointed. And if you see yourself as, as a, a, a subject of something I may be writing about and it makes you squirm, then you know you have to ask yourself what you're doing that's making you squirm. It has nothing to do with me. I write as I see it. You write about your family and friends. I'm just a little curious, Shoba, about how they perceive it. At what point do you worry about crossing a line or invading someone's privacy when you write about people who are a part of your life? 
I think I've dealt with it over 50 years with utmost intelligence, responsibility, and sensitivity. Well, I've had friends who are still my friends for 50 long years. Public figures are different because they're in the public domain, just as I have no control of what me as a public figure, whatever people may think about me, write about me, troll me. Uh, it's something that I have absolutely no jurisdiction over. I do not intrude into the space of people who are not in a position to respond to what I'm saying. That's not my job. And if my family, every one of them, is proud of what I do and I have not invaded their private space either, I think I'm doing what I need to do in a way that is completely responsible and I have no problems with them and neither do my friends and neither do my family members. What are the aspects that writers should keep in mind while writing about people? Should they be mindful that they could upset them? Well, it depends on who that somebody else is. If it's someone who is answerable to the public, a politician or a public figure on any level, or a sports person or a musician who are, or a filmmaker or a movie star, these are all people who are out there and their careers are built on public opinion then they should really have no problem dealing with public opinion because that's part of the game. If they're private individuals, well, each person has to decide for himself or herself what that discretion means and where that line has to be drawn. Uh, a mature writer will always, but always know that. Shobha, can you tell us more about the writing course that you're offering? I was asked to conduct a writing course by uh, an organization and uh, I thought it was a good idea to share my experiences. And uh, that the writing course has taken off is something that gives me a great sense of, you know, great genuine satisfaction. These are all writing lessons that I have imbibed, that I have learned, and I have put into practice over this long career. So if there are young writers out there who can, um, in, in whichever way, either identify with what I'm saying, or find it useful. That was the whole objective. How did you arrive at the style of writing in English? How did you make it so popular? You can't plan these things. It's a, You can't ask a painter, how did you decide to paint a sunset and not a moonrise? Similarly, these are an individual writer's styles which come from a certain space of uh, inspiration and talent. You can't, you cannot deconstruct it. You never should. There's no genesis of, to these things. Uh, it is uh, a God-given gift, a God-given talent. And I started to uh, write English because that's how Bombay actually communicates. And I'm very much a Mumbaikar. And this is how I've always grown up communicating. It's a delightful melange of many languages. And I just adopted that into my writing style. And it seems to have worked very well for me. It has indeed. There's also a Shoba Day imprint of books. How's that doing? Well, I sort of uh, have uh, uh, taken a backseat on that one because it was a very different kind of involvement of time that uh, a publisher requires to give to each book and each author. And I simply don't have that kind of bandwidth to mentor and find young writers. The books that I did do under the imprint were all extremely successful books. There was Zia Modi, there was Yash Pirla, there was... Of course, Karan Johar with his Unsuitable Boy and several other titles I'm very proud of. But I, I am not actively doing that any longer. The latest book that you've written, Insatiable, My Hunger for Life, encapsulates your journey in the last 75 years. Looking back, 
would you tell the young shobha or anuradha to do anything differently i would tell her to take still more risks than i ever took because that's what life is about you to throw yourself into the deep end and learn how to swim and if you can't then don't complain about it 50 years later that i should have done this i should have done that the life is too short for regrets you just do the best you can but definitely risk is a very attractive part of um the whole journey of life the whole adventure of life and i've never run away from risks i've actively taken them so that's what i would tell young people listen to your uh, inner voice and march to your own drummer and no one else's beat wonderful and no regrets at all no what's the point it's over and done with thank you very much for joining us on the show today shobha thank you very much i have a dinner date with my husband to which i should really be getting ready and bouncing and to our listeners i hope you enjoyed this episode of spotlight with sandhya as much as i did do subscribe to the podcast i would love to hear from you the links are in the bio below i'll be back soon with another interesting guest until then take care and bye bye